Hello and welcome to The Long Short. I'm your host, Drew Nicholl. We in the West have recently had to relearn a harsh lesson that people in other parts of the world have known for a long time, that the ecosystem is fragile and agriculture markets and food supply chains are going to be increasingly disrupted by extreme climate events. From severe wildfires in Europe to flooding in India and drought in East Africa, along with other geopolitical challenges that are causing havoc to global supply chains, we at The Long Short wanted to learn more about a fast-growing segment of the asset management market that's looking to do something to help. Under the umbrella term of environmental, social and governance that many will now be very familiar with, there's an investment strategy that seeks to generate returns for underlying investors, whilst also making a positive impact through direct investment in businesses around the world, but especially in emerging markets. It's a highly innovative space leveraging technology and global networks to get capital to businesses that previously wouldn't have appeared on anyone's radar. One of the oldest players in the space is Inox Capital, which focuses on agriculture, energy, and I'm delighted to have its content and public relations manager, Julia Shook, here today to explain what impact investing can achieve, the nuts and bolts of building a portfolio of loans in emerging markets, and why the sector is so attractive to investors right now. Julia, you are very welcome to Longshore. Well, thanks for having me, Drew. Happy to be here. So as I mentioned in my introduction, Inox Capital engages in what's known as impact investing. But for the uninitiated, can you just explain to us what exactly that means? Absolutely. Um, impact investing is all about investing with a purpose. And that's precisely what we do at Inox Capital. We're an impact asset manager based in Switzerland, experienced in driving capital towards sustainable agriculture. So this is a sector that we focus on, but on a more general note, no matter the sector, impact investors combine financial performance with purpose. And I'm sure you've heard this before. Um, It's about doing well while doing good. In other words, impact investing means going beyond seeking financial profits and also focus on creating meaningful impact. Um, In our case, we actively seek out investment opportunities that have a positive effect on the society and on our planet. So what does that really mean? It means that when we invest via the funds that we manage, we carefully choose businesses that are making a difference, especially in areas like sustainable agriculture and clean energy, and who tackle challenges like food security and poverty alleviation. But impact investing isn't just about feel-good gestures, and it isn't philanthropy. It's a serious approach to investment that requires rigorous evaluation. Perfect, thank you. And just to take that a step further, can you just give us some really clear real-world examples of what impact investing can achieve? Sure. Um, Impact investing has the power to create positive change and generate returns across various sectors. Um, Some examples would be investing in renewable energy, like solar power, or social enterprises that support housing initiatives. Um, Another area is promoting quality education by investing in online learning platforms or training programs in underserved communities, for instance. And then there is financial inclusion, where investors can make a significant difference. And of course, sustainable agriculture, um, which is the area we uh, specialize in. Let me give you a few tangible examples. Peanut production in South Africa. So production volumes have been fluctuating and actually decreasing uh, over, over the past two decades. 
due to losses of farming areas of land, basically, to other more profitable crops um, like maize or soybeans. And this led to decreased quantities of groundnuts all over the country. Now, this has several consequences. Um, one of the issues here is that peanuts are good for the soil's health as they add nitrogen uh, to the soil while they grow, making the soil also more fertile. Um, what this also means is that farmers don't necessarily have to spend too much on uh, fertilizers for the following crop. So it also represents a cost-cutting solution. So basically, by investing in the processing of groundnuts, we are helping the local production increase because it means that they have an end buyer because the farmers will obviously sell those groundnuts to somebody who's willing to process them. Um, and so it's, it's basically a positive uh, cycle that we are supporting there. It also has an impact on job creation and on the local economy, of course, and therefore overall on poverty alleviation. Impact investing in agriculture can drive immense change um, as challenges like food security don't only affect emerging markets in faraway lands. Um, I think they concern us all. And there's so much detail there that I, I'm very keen to jump into, but just one final question, just to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of the scale of this, because what jumped out to me there is that uh, what you're sometimes talking about are quite, uh, I guess, small deals with individual farmers. And I imagine they don't need hundreds of millions of dollars to set up their operations, for example. And I just wonder how that contrasts with what, what we read all the time about all the money flowing into ESG funds and the demand for ESG products. And, and we'll unpack that in a moment. But just in the first instance, could you just give us a sense of scale of how big the impact investing market is now and give us a sense of the demand for these sort of highly ESG focused funds from various types of investors? Of course. Well, the impact investing market as a whole um, has experienced remarkable growth um, and is now estimated to be in the trillions of dollars. Um, so that should give you an idea of its size. Um, investors, both uh, institutional and individual, are uh, recognizing the value of investing with a purpose. Um, and they're actively seeking opportunities to generate financial returns while making a meaningful impact. While it remains challenging uh, to size the market Precisely, um, the Global Impact Investing Network, which we call the GIN, estimates that there are over 3,300 organizations actively engaged in impact investing, and they're managing over a trillion dollars, as we said. Um, and this was uh, actually for 2022. So this number is expected to grow you know, once they publish their report for 2023. This reflects already a significant increase from previous years and shows that impact investing is becoming a major force in the financial world. There's another report actually, which, uh, which helps us size the markets from um, a Swiss impact investing specialist uh, called Tameo. Uh, every year they publish a report called PIF, um, Private Asset Impact Fund. And this year, it revealed that approximately 84 billion is invested in private asset impact funds, 
focused on emerging and frontier markets. Now, uh, there's also a compound rate, which you can find uh, out there. Um, between 2022 and 2023, that was about uh, 18% growth. Now, this growth reflects a broader shift in investors' priorities. Um, as I said, people are becoming more conscious of social and environmental challenges, and they want their investments to have a positive impact. Um, they're realizing that doing well financially uh, doesn't have to come at the expense of doing good for the world. Also, governments and financial institutions worldwide are actively encouraging responsible investing practices and incorporating sustainability into their strategies. This obviously further amplifies the demand for ESG funds um, and, um, and for impact investing opportunities. Um, so such opportunities uh, arise in areas that I've mentioned uh, before, like uh, food security, uh, poverty alleviation, gender equality, and, and much, much more. Um, and it's not just a passing trend. It's, it's a shift in the investment landscape, um, a global movement driven by the understanding that investing for impact can be a win-win situation. The, the good news is that as more investors embrace ESG funds and impact investing, more capital flows into companies that prioritize sustainability. So uh, again, it's, it's a positive loop. So to go back to your question, is the impact investing market big? Is it growing? Yes. <laughs> um, and, and to put this growth into perspective, uh, maybe let's compare the, the GINS figure um, that I mentioned earlier for 2022, to um, which was over a trillion dollar, to what they've published in their 2019 uh, report. Um, and they estimated at the time, they estimated the overall impact investing industry assets under management or AUM at, uh, about 500 billion by the end of 2018. So, uh, this means that impact investing market has more than doubled, uh, in just a few years. Also, uh, maybe it's interesting to point out that uh, a recent study by, uh, PwC revealed that the demand for ESG investment products is outstripping supply. I was just about to ask you about that. <laughs> you have so much money going in. Yeah, <laughs> it's controversial. Because <laughs> you, you, the, the numbers you were, you were throwing out there, um, again, I'm, 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 I'm saying that uh, from the point of view of, you know, these big uh, solar project or just clean energy products, uh, projects even, uh, of course, they are hugely expensive and, and can eat up a huge amount of their capital flowing into ESG. But when you're talking about agriculture and these uh, small uh, cocoa farmers or coffee bean farmers or something like that, and, and actually you, you mentioned bef uh, right at the top about partnering with a, with a fintech firm and, and this, these platforms, is that really essential to maybe bucketing regional farmers in a way so you can sort of have one connection into a, a platform that they can also access as opposed to having sort of individual relationships with hundreds of farmers or, or, or is it, or are you going the other way? I think though, that it's important that I clarify the fact that these farmers um, might sound like a relatively small investment. It's not. So basically um, when we invest in agribusinesses, we usually look for businesses that have at least a three-year track record 
Um, so these are companies that work, they just need more capital, you know, to grow or for new machinery or to be able to face the, the upcoming harvest season. That's a cooperative with over 3000 farmers. So it's actually quite big. So if the cooperative is asking for capital um, to a fund, to, a, to an impact asset manager like, like Inox, um, in order to pay over 3000 farmers, um, that's easily in, 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 the, in the millions. So the kind of um, private debt that we do, the kind of loans that we do, have actually an average ticket size of 5 million. Now, this is, yeah, this is usually broken down into different capital calls, meaning that these cooperatives uh, or smallholder farmers won't be asking for the uh, total facility at once. So um, maybe it's going to be a ticket of 300K and so on, depending on their needs. So I just wanted to clarify this because it's true that it seems like, oh, we're helping, you know, Pedro and his family. Um, yes, we are. But because he's part of like a huge community of um, coffee farmers. So, um, yeah, so that's first point. Then, again, to, to answer your question um, in terms of do we need to go through a platform, etc. Um, I think that I will in part touch on this in a different way. Um, what I can say is that these platforms are definitely helpful because they create a connection uh, between different players of the industry. Um, and I could give you different examples of platforms um, where, for instance, coffee farmers get access to markets that they would otherwise not have. Um, meaning that they, they, they are put in front of buyers, of end buyers, that will be able to buy an excellent product uh, and farmers will also be remuner remunerated in a fair way. So yes, these platforms are very useful for us. But again, if I combine both of the points I just made, um, it's not uh, essential. We don't have to go through a major platform to be able to help um, a rice cooperative in Ghana or, um, again, a, rice um, a coffee cooperative in Peru. So these platforms, we're adopting more and more, um, but they're not a must. Perfect. That's really helpful. Thank you. And I, again, I'm really excited to jump really deep into the weeds on this because I have so many questions. But but the final thing I just wanted to, to um, put to you directly was, was something you mentioned uh, about this idea that you can uh, perform well whilst doing good. And the reason I, I wanted to put that to you is because when you were, were giving those examples, you were talking about all the various things that, uh, if I understand correctly, go into your investment decisions, all the positive ESG uh, stuff that goes on top of just looking for the maximal return. And so I just wanted to give you the opportunity to just sort of directly um, respond to the naysayers that do uh, just put this this point out that if you are doing any of that, then you are ultimately taking away from maximizing returns. Right. Um, so maybe I'll just quickly go back to what we were previously discussing uh, and add a small clarification, which I believe is quite important. The rising demand for ESG funds 
um, does not always equate to more positive impact. Why? Because it's important to differentiate ESG investing and impact investing. Uh, ESG is kind of the foundation um, and the seed, let's say, and then what grows uh, above the ground, like a tree, that would be your impact. So um, impact goes beyond ESG. So I just wanna, I just wanna make sure that that's that's clear and out there that ESG investing and impact investing are not the same thing. Of course, they can be complementary. So um, now to answer your question more 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 specifically, um, I do understand the concern uh, that some may have, but. Research shows that companies with a strong ESG profile uh, tend to perform better in the long run. So considering ESG factors helps investors gain valuable insights into a company's operations. They can look at factors like supply chain ethics and uh, corporate governance. This allows them to make more informed decisions and actually enhance returns. Integrating ESG considerations helps identify risks and opportunities that may impact the long-term value of your investment. So ESG investing does not hinder revenue maximization. On the contrary, um, it's a valuable approach for identifying financially robust companies, um, which you'd want to invest in while promoting uh, responsible practices. Now, again, I really want to distinguish ESG investments from impact uh, investments once more. Uh, at Inox Capital, we've seen that impact investments can deliver attractive returns um, while creating meaningful change. So, um, for instance, the Global Impact Investing Network, again, the GIN, uh, reported that almost 90% of impact investors found their impact investments meeting or exceeding their expectations. And when we compare returns, the median impact fund realizes a 6.4% compared to a 7.4% return from non-impact funds. Uh, impact investment vehicles, like those in the agriculture sector, offer um, a smart way to diversify portfolios. And also demand for staple foods like rice or wheat, sugar, uh, etc. will always exist, which makes agri-food investments uh, resilient even during uh, economic downturns. Finally, the growing demand for ESG investments is evident among institutional investors, with many of them integrating ESG criteria into their investment policies. Impact investing is not philanthropy. Both ESG and impact investing provide opportunities to create lasting value. Well, there you go. You, you heard it here first. That, that settles that ongoing debate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned investors there and there is obviously the demand from an ESG point of view. But is there also uh, quite a distinct argument to be made around diversification from the point of view of the investor? And, and, and when you're sitting in these investor meetings, I imagine that your extremely interesting strategy is is ideal for an institutional investor that is looking to do something positive but also to do something that gets away from their you know public market uh, exposure for example is is that another sort of top level factor for for many investors um yes i'd say so again this depends a lot on the investor's financial goals the company's values is there a match is there not a match also I mean, 
now I'm not speaking for Inox, but for impact asset managers in general, um, how well are we able to get the message across that even though some of these impact investments may seem to be happening in faraway lands that investors would not be able to personally, physically surveil or even, you know, comprehend sometimes, we are doing the job. We are doing a very, very thorough job in mitigating risks. Um, we have, and now I am talking about INOX, um, um, we have a very uh, meticulous uh, in-house due diligence process. Uh, we have a whole impact th team who will assess the potential impact uh, on society, on the planet, et cetera, that a certain investment opportunity can have. So if I go back to my first point, there, there needs to be a match between, say, the investor's plans and financial goals and strategies and values etc you know how well can the impact asset manager match these 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 requirements and 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 basically offer a product that will satisfy both uh, the investors willingness to have a positive impact uh, and, um, you know, reach a certain level of returns. So um, what I'd add maybe to conclude is that it's a conversation. I think that trust can be built, uh, especially for a dinosaur like us, uh, simply when you show, you know, the sort of track record that you have uh, or all our impact reports, etc. Um, it makes it tangible. Um, and I think one other advantage for agriculture is how logical and transparent uh, a transaction can be and the whole investment can be. Um, you can visualize that a certain commodity has a certain cycle. So there is harvesting season and then, you know, it gets uh, transported and uh, processed and stored and distributed. And, you know, we map, we map these things out for investors so they can literally see where the money is going um, in a very clear way. And, um, yeah, and returns have been steady. So that's another point. <laughs> AMA is pleased to announce that AMA putting ESG into practice conference will be returning to London on the 7th of September 2023. Over the course of the day, discussions will address the basics of compliance, key regulatory developments and the wider trends and themes that are guiding firms' approaches to responsible investment. The goal is to give attendees a set of practical insights that can immediately add value to their business. Panels, keynote speakers and workshops will explore the practical aspects of ESG integration for alternative asset managers with a focus on regulatory developments affecting the industry. Interested in finding out more? Visit the AMA website to register now. Listeners will have some sense of the supply chain issues connecting farmers around the world and our supermarkets today. Inox references improving food security as one of its main criteria when looking for companies to invest in. So how secure are our food supply chains? Sadly, our food security is facing uh, threats, um, but there are important uh, steps being taken to address them. I think that one of the primary challenges to food security 
is the increasing global population. And actually, let me rephrase that. That's not something I think. That's something everyone can see. <laughs> and um, of course, with more people to feed, uh, there is a growing pressure on agricultural systems to produce more food. This often leads to unsustainable practices. And this will lead me to answer your question uh, a bit more precisely. What can this lead to? This leads to, uh, for example, uh, excessive use of fertilizers or excessive use of other chemicals like uh, pesticides. This can lead to deforestation and overexploitation of water resources, for instance. And these practices don't only harm the environment, but they also compromise the strength of our food production system. Another threat to food security is, of course, climate change. Changing climatic conditions uh, make it difficult for farmers to plan ahead, to plan their planting and harvesting seasons, for instance. Um, and this can also result in reduced crop yields and potential food shortages. And one example that I could give you here is, for instance, we have a um, peanut uh, producer in South Africa and they have been suffering from drought over several years. Luckily, uh, this year there has been rainfall. So this year, uh, the harvesting looked a bit better, but for years it was, it was quite difficult. And of course, yields went down. And um, so this can be one example of a commodity that has suffered from climatic change and um, this sort of threat. Now, there is another aspect that contributes to food insecurity, and that is poverty and economic disparities. Many individuals and communities lack financial means to access nutritious food and inadequate infrastructure further exacerbates the problem, uh, particularly in marginalized uh, regions. Now, to address these challenges, a lot of strategies are being implemented. This includes embracing um, agroecology principles, for instance. Uh, for example, uh, we have uh, cocoa in the Ivory Coast, and there an interesting thing that can be done is combining certain trees with crops. So here we have an example of agroecology. What uh, can also be done is investing in precision uh, farming techniques or uh, leveraging advanced technologies such as re remote sensing and, and data analytics which helps optimizing resource efficiency, and it also helps reducing waste. Now, luckily, investments are also being made in rural infrastructure, uh, including transportation networks, storage facilities, um, innovative irrigation systems, um, and this, this improves food distribution. So again, uh, to go back to the supermarkets, uh, this helps cocoa uh, being transformed into chocolates and getting to our supermarkets. More specifically, this uh, helps smallholder farmers uh, better connect with broader markets, which they would not uh, otherwise have access to. And this is how they can increase their incomes as well. So, you know, the whole community benefits. Um, theirs and ours, actually. Who doesn't like chocolates? By empowering smallholder farmers, uh, particularly women, and marginalized communities and you know providing them with access to finance education and, and training we can improve their livelihoods and enhance their capacity to contribute to food production and that's obviously what we want we do not want them to be struggling to a point where they cannot do what what they do anymore tackling food security 
requires everybody's attention. It requires collaboration among governments, international organizations, NGOs, um, and the private sector. You've mentioned sustainable farming practices a few times, and it just occurs to me that that sounds quite similar to uh, a conversation we had with um, Nadia Humphreys at Bloomberg. I, I think that was episode 45. And the main point we were talking about there was how the value of land is becoming far more sophisticated. And we were talking a lot about how biodiversity of land is being factored in a lot more. And there's a lot of technology and and, and tools coming in to allow that to, to take place on a sort of empirical basis. And I just wanted to ask you, how does that mesh with um, a, a few things you mentioned around farming and and of course um a lot of people know that 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 monoculture farming is in some ways effective but but maybe has downstream implications for the health of um the 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 soil and, and and just crop production more broadly so is it a case that you have to choose between biodiversity and yield or is that sort of a false dichotomy that's an excellent question, Drew. Um, Nadia's insights in episode 45 uh, shed light on a crucial aspect of sustainable finance. The evolving understanding of land value through an ESG lens is indeed becoming more sophisticated or complicated, some may say. Um, and it's great to see that investors are increasingly recognizing the importance of considering factors like biodiversity in their investment decisions. Now, when it comes to agriculture, there has been a long-standing practice of monoculture farming and other modern methods to meet the demand um, for staple foods like grains, as you mentioned. Um, while these methods have been effective in maximizing yields and feeding a growing population, they do raise concerns about their environmental impact and implications for biodiversity. Monoculture farming in particular uh, involves cultivating a single crop over a large area, which can lead to several issues. First, it depletes the soil of specific nutrients, leading to soil degradation and reduced fertility over time. Second, it can make more um, it can make crops more susceptible to pests and diseases, potentially then leading to increased use of chemical pesticides and herbicides and further impacting the environment. However, uh, sustainable agricultural practices and investments in regenerative techniques provide viable alternatives. Incorporating diverse crops, like cover crops, for instance, and practicing agroecology, as we mentioned before, uh, can help promote natural pest control and improve soil health. By rotating crops, farmers can replenish soil nutrients and reduce the reliance on chemical inputs, creating a more balanced system. By investing in innovative farming technologies and research, we can enhance crop varieties' resilience to changing environmental conditions, for instance, while uh, maintaining productivity. We can also optimize and shorten supply chains, uh, reduce food waste, promote local efficient distributions, etc. These can all contribute to addressing food security challenges. Now, you might wonder, does embracing biodiversity 
come at the cost of food security? The answer is that it doesn't have to be an either or situation. So the good news is that we don't have to choose one over the other. We can strike a balance between meeting our food needs and preserving biodiversity by working with nature rather than against it. So the one thing that I just feel like is, is, is missing from this, which I, I have to ask you, is, is just coming back to the investment side of things, because it just sounds incredibly difficult to uh, to find these opportunities in, in, in various corners of the world. And, and, and so I, I'm really um, interested to find out, so how does your investment team go about uh, you know, finding these um, farming collectives in, 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 you know, in Latin America, in sub-Saharan Africa? And, and, and how do you go about vetting and, and really sort of structuring these investments in an environment where I can only imagine a good amount of data is, is really hard to come by? Um, true. <laughs> so um, creating investments in, in, in these sort of businesses and, and, and regions can be a bit of a challenge, um, especially when we don't have all the data we need. Um, the thing is, in, in places where data is scarce, uh, we can't just rely on the usual sources. So um, we've come up with several strategies to tackle this. Um, firstly, we have built our own sourcing network that gathers trade intelligence across the geographies we operate in. This network provides valuable information and insights about potential investment opportunities. It allows us to tap into local market knowledge, identify emerging trends, and gain a deeper understanding of the business landscape in these particular regions. Secondly, we establish strong relationships with stakeholders throughout the value chain. So we engage with producers, with exporters, trade houses, brokers, importers, distributors, processors, and so on. Um, and that's how we gain on the ground knowledge and access opportunities that may not be readily available through traditional data sources. These relationships also provide insights into market dynamics and they help us spot investment prospects. Um, we also collaborate with local associations, farmer groups, and industry experts to gain an even deeper understanding of local dynamics. For example, in the context of agriculture, we work closely with farmer cooperatives and agronomists to gather insight on crop production, on specific market demand, um, and understand uh, supply chain complexities. Our investment team basically starts with a top-down approach. So they identify and self-screen potential investments based on country, commodity, uh, and value chain. And this allows for a broad assessment of prospects in different regions, in different sectors. To illustrate the practical application of our approach, uh, let's consider a specific example. So. In, in a remote rural region, we identified a small-scale organic farming cooperative that faced challenges accessing capital and expanding their operations. So we recognized the potential of their sustainable farming practices and the growing demand for organic products. Of course, thanks to the network that I just mentioned and you know the local experts and the on-the-ground knowledge that we were able to gather. 
Um, so to support them, uh, we provided a combination of financial investment, technical assistance, and market linkages. So through this investment, the cooperative was able to expand their operations, improve infrastructure, and increase their production capacity. We also connected them with a network of buyers interested in organic products, uh, basically ensuring a reliable market for their produce. And as a result, the cooperative not only experienced financial growth, but also contributed to environmental sustainability and uh, to the livelihoods of local farmers. Another example is our investment in a remote rural area with limited access to clean energy. We identified an opportunity to invest in a renewable energy project um, that could provide electricity to the local community, powering essential services like schools and healthcare facilities and irrigation systems. Um, so by partnering with local stakeholders, uh, government agencies and clean energy developers, we were able to implement a sustainable energy solution that improved the quality of life and economic opportunities in, in the region. So um, what I'm trying to say is that our approach is meticulous and we have a comprehensive due diligence process um, and to ensure that our investments meet our impact objectives in addition to financial goals, we are very selective. Um, last year alone, we reviewed over 400 companies, but selected only four that aligned with our impact framework. So when you ask if it's difficult to create these investments, well, you know, four out of 400, um, you tell me. <laughs> so um, we invest in businesses that not only comply with industry standards, but go beyond them. For example, let's consider the case of cashew processing. In many cashew shelling operations, workers are exposed to harsh conditions that can lead to serious health issues. Um, the, the process of shelling cashews by hand uh, exposes workers' hands and fingers to, to injury, while the caustic liquid produced by the nuts can cause burns and, and skin damage. So unfortunately, uh, workers often lack access to protective supplies or they simply cannot afford them. So while some businesses may claim ISO compliance by providing uh, just basic protective gear like rubber gloves, um, we go the extra mile. So we would require greater protection measures. We would require uh, to include the use of mechanical tools that minimize manual contact, for instance, or specialized protection for the eyes and, and, and fingers uh, and other preventive measures. So in summary, uh, while creating investments in, in rural, small businesses can be challenging, um, our approach allows us to identify brilliant opportunities and create a positive impact. Um, and you know, we, can, we can build a solid portfolio and, and contribute to the development of these regions. So the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, a little bit out of left field compared to what we've been speaking about so far, although it might relate to uh, what we were talking about earlier in terms of the growth of the sector. And that was just a question around uh, hiring and, and inflows of talent into the industry. And I just wanted to ask you, really, if you could just give us a sense of, of, of your journey into the asset management space and whether the fact that Inox is uh, impact investing focus as opposed to 
some other investment strategy? What, what sort of what's led you here as opposed to anywhere else? Well, the reason I joined Inox Capital is that I believe in what we do. So uh, I'm not sure that quest for a purpose is necessarily a generational thing because, you know, we hear about Generation Z being particularly aware of environmental challenges and so on. Uh, but I'm personally a Gen Y uh, or a millennial. Um, and I'm also after a career that has purpose. So um, I- I'm, I'm certainly glad to see that new generations want to also find work in the sort of companies that um, allow them to make a difference. Um, maybe what's ironic and, and, and worth sharing is that when I was offered this job, um, I was standing on a rice field. I was uh, traveling all around Italy with another foodie and we were meeting with local producers kind enough to share their experience with us. And um, well, the aim of this trip was to gather enough insights and genuine stories from farmers and food producers in order to compile them into a um, coffee table book. The big book of things you don't know about Italian food, if you will. We got to meet incredible people and their stories deserve to be told. Um, There is so much we don't know when we enjoy a mozzarella or an Italian wine. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, what's inspiring to me in the field of agriculture and impact, but more particularly agriculture, um, is how knowledgeable, uh, humble and passionate the people who work in it are. I'll tell you a quick story to illustrate my point. So um, this rice field I was visiting while messaging with Inox Capital's HR is uh, situated in the north of Italy, in Piedmont, and the business has been passed on for four generations now. We got to meet three of them, uh, Pietro, the grandpa, uh, Emanuele, and his son, Eduardo. Um, And they told us their beautiful story, full of challenges, Um, And they brought us to see the rice fields and and, and we got to learn a lot about rice production. We also got to um, uh, ride on their new Lamborghini tractor, but that's another story. Um, What I wanted to say is that Emanuele wanted to share as much as he possibly could with us. And and, and we could see true passion in his eyes. He, um, uh, and actually one thing he really wanted to show us was how rice looks the moment it is born. Basically, the the seed germination or baby rice um, uh, still inside the the plant, inside the the paddy. Uh, And to do so, he he wore his rubber boots. uh, We were on the field, on the rice field, and he went into the water to try and find uh, the right paddy, which would, you know, contain this baby rice that he absolutely wanted to show us. I have no idea how he could tell from outside the paddies. I mean, these plants, you know, are just long green uh, uh, stems that to me look absolutely identical. So yeah, I have no idea how we could tell from the outside which ones to pick to show us that the rice was just born inside of them. But you know, so he tried and he opened several plants and he was not successful. So then his son Eduardo jumped in the water and he tried his luck. And even though he took a lot of time, he still couldn't manage to find the right patty to show us baby rice. Finally, Grandpa Pietro went in, um, who can barely see, by the way, um, and the first plant he grabs is the right one. So it took him less than a minute. 
he opened it in front of us as we all gathered around him with what I could only call love in his voice. Uh, he said, look, look, there's my baby. Now we're going to take care of it until it's all grown up. Um, and, and I was so impressed by his experience and expertise, allowing him to blindly know um, his product like, like no one else. Um, and honestly, I was moved. Rice is uh, his whole life, and it's the same for his son and now the son of his son. And I guess what I'm trying to express here is that why I love agriculture uh, and its people, and, and this is why I want to be able to contribute to their fights. Um, this gorgeous, welcoming family deserves our help and attention. And Ainos Capital supports smallholder farmers like Pietro, who dedicate their whole life to feeding the rest of us. Um, so to answer your question, transparently communicating a company's reason to be and the impact it is trying to have on others, on our society, on our planet, can attract and retain talent, the right talent. Of course, this can differ from a young professional to another. Um, you don't necessarily have to be passionate about agriculture like I am, um, but I'd say that there are enough causes out there to defend and to give your time to. So I'm sure you can find the field that best resonates with you and your values and contribute to shaping its future while pursuing your career. Well, uh, you, you say that uh, people don't know enough about Italian wine, but I wasn't even aware that they grew rice in Italy. So uh, maybe that's just my ignorance, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've just out of myself there to our, our producer Caterina and I, I'm sure I'm in for a, a lesson in Italian history after this is over. You're not alone, this has... believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say this has been so interesting to learn about this investment strategy. I've, I've been really looking forward to uh, digging into this. It, it's something we, we hear about a little bit, but we rarely get to just um, ask those, those quite basic questions sometimes about, about how all this works, because um, it's clearly some very good work that's been going on here. So um, thank you so much for joining us on The Long Short. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.